Twitter on the Middle East, our monitor's podcast on the big stories of the day. My name is Amrin Zaman, and today I'll be talking about the Kurdistan Workers' Party, or PKK, the outlawed militant group that has been engaged in armed conflict with the Turkish state since the last century. Today, August 15, marks the 39th anniversary of the launch of the PKK's violent campaign. Their fight was initially for Kurdish independence, but the PKK's imprisoned leader Abdullah Öcalan reversed course in the early 90s, and today the group says it wants to do away with the nation-state and replace it with a form of radically decentralized civic rule. The PKK is formally designated as a terrorist organization by Turkey, the United States, and numerous European countries. It has faced many setbacks over the years, most notably in 1999, when Öcalan was captured with the help of the CIA. Today, Turkish air power has put the PKK squarely on the defensive, yet the group's reach and influence has extended way beyond its traditional battlegrounds in Turkey, Syria and Iraq. Sympathizers of the Öcalan-led movement have entered parliament in European capitals, and millions of Kurds across the globe continue to revere Öcalan. In northeast Syria, a Kurdish-led administration that is openly sympathetic to Öcalan and staffed by former PKK members operates under a security umbrella provided by the United States. The Syrian Kurds remain America's top partner in the ongoing campaign to degrade and destroy the Islamic State. Today I'm joined by Frederike Gerdink, a Dutch journalist and author of This Fire Never Dies, a book that's based on the year she spent living with the PKK in the mountains of Iraqi Kurdistan. Frederike is also the editor of the Expert Kurdistan newsletter. So welcome to our program, Frederike. It's great to have you with us here today. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. So Frederike, what does the PKK currently stand for? What are its goals? Well, that's a, that's a nice question to start with. On the on the on the day that uh, thirty nine uh, years ago the the armed struggle started, um, because there is this um, there is this idea that the PKK is about weapons and about the armed struggle, and of course that's part of it. Um, but it's not the goal to have an armed struggle. You know, this, the the goal is to to eventually to build to build a, uh, another society that is like totally the opposite of what the Turkish state is. So a respect for diversity, um, no, not not the patriarchal structures you could say that the, that the Turkish state is built on, um, where everybody has to be a Turk with a lot of militarism. Uh, a strong nation state. Um, so I, I would say that's eventually the goal to build to build another society, to build an alternative. And that isn't really how they started off, though, because when they were first formed, their aim was to create a Kurdish state carved out of um, Iran, Iraq, Syria, and Turkey. So, yeah. what what? triggered the change in its thinking, in this organization's thinking? And of course, we can't answer that question without talking about 
the PKK's imprisoned leader, Abdullah Öcalan. How much does influence does he still have? And, you know, what you just described, that that's coming from him principally, isn't it? Even though he spent yeah. uh, the last more than what? My math is terrible. How many years in prison? Like 20, 24 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the change started in the 1990s because, of course, um, you know, the, the so-called communist world was also crumbling apart and... Um, like what what um, went wrong with what with the socialism in practice, and I think the the analysis was that um, the patriarchal structures weren't broken down, and the nation state um, can also be considered a patriarchal structure like capitalism. So they thought if we keep if we keep struggling for an independent Kurdistan, an independent nation state for Kurds, then we will repeat the mistakes. That, that are inherent to all the nation states everywhere, and especially Turkey, um, where many Kurds live. So they thought we had to we have to create another um, we have to really find an alternative for that. And Erjelan was was the one who um, initiated that paradigm shift, but he was also inspired by Murray Bookchin. Um, an American uh, political thinker, which ended ended up in in this concept called um, democratic confederalism, which which means like giving giving people power over their communities on a on a very small level, on a local level, on a, um, a village or a neighborhood level, and then all these local committees work together for for goals that are that are greater for policies that you know, that are bigger than just small structures. Um, and I think eventually the goal of that is um, to undermine the nation states in Turkey. But what you see is they're trying to build that system, um, at least the sister organizations that all resort under the umbrella of the KCK um, in Northeast Syria. And um they've been doing that for 10 years now 10 11 years and they also for example um kicked isis out of raqqa which is not at all a kurdish city it's an arab city but there you also give the people um a say over their lives on the local level and the more you spread that the more you undermine the system of the nation state and try to sort of render it obsolete so I think that that is how you could look at it. Yes, and of course, feminism is a very strong part of that ideology now, uh, gender equality. But before we talk about that, you know, it also kind kind of sounds a bit abstract. And if this is the goal, it also be begs the question of why they feel they need to be still engaged in armed struggle if it's about building communities. And my answer to that would be, and you may disagree with me, is that at heart it is still very much also a Kurdish nationalist movement that, you, you know, when a Kurdish person decides to risk their lives and goes out and, you know, often dies for that, it really is because, you know, in their hearts, they, they also do want their own homeland. So there seems to be that tension between... Yeah. 
the the ideas, the program, the ideology that's being articulated. Yeah, but the homeland, the homeland already exists, of course. Sometimes when I mention Kurdistan, some people say, where is Kurdistan? Show it to me on the map, like as if a Kurdistan or whichever Palestine or whichever um, nation that doesn't have a country, um, as if you only exist if you have a state. Kurdistan already exists. You and I have gone there so many times, you know. Um, so you don't need a state to to exist as a people and as a and as a as a homeland. Um, and yeah, maybe you know people um, may join because they want to fight for their Kurdish identity, but that doesn't make the movement a nationalist one. I think it's about rights and also everybody's rights. I've met also Armenians in, in the PKK or foreigners or, you know, um, Arabs, Turks. So in, in that sense that, that people join to to fight for the Kurdish identity doesn't necessarily mean that, that, the, that the movement is nationalist. So you spent a very long time living, you know, with the PKK physically in the mountains of uh, of north northeast iraq right kurdistan yeah. um and you talk to these people what was your impression i mean overall of of what how they saw uh, the reason for being there i mean did you see there was a tension between as i described uh, the assigned ideology and and what really drove them at the end of the day particularly given that in I'm sure many cases uh, they were coming from Turkey where their identity is repressed and where many feel that until they have their own country, they won't be able to, you know, um, express that identity freely. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I especially saw that with uh, young people who hadn't been in the PKK for that long yet. Um, I really remember very well long conversation with a young woman she was in 1920 and and she said i'm not angry anymore but when i first joined i was very angry because they told me i'm not here to fight for my own state and i was very angry because i didn't understand why not and now i i now that i've had more education here i understand it better and i'm not angry about it anymore but um you know it's it's difficult to make that switch for uh, people when they first joined. And that's also because for me, it, it was also because I I heard already for so many years that the PKK is not striving for a state and I and that they were not like the Turkish state says, separatist. They're not separatist. They want to undermine the state. Okay, but they don't want to, you know, cut Turkey in, in parts or something. And years ago, I thought maybe I am a separatist, you know, maybe <laughs> well, maybe like maybe it's not a bad idea maybe Turkey, can... people were calling you that weren't they and a terrorist yeah, yeah. have you and we and all then, get stuck yeah. with those labels unfortunately because yeah. i thought okay then because i thought you have this ideology that is um you know it's an ideology that is going to the future is how i see it because nationalism is sort of an idea of the of the 19th, 20th century. 
and what the PKK's ideo ideology is now is for me more for, fitted to the future and nationalism. Um, yeah, but I would like to I repeat my question. Sorry for interrupting you. Is, you know, why then do they need to have arms? Why do they need to be uh, yeah. killing Turkish soldiers? I mean, obviously, Turkish soldiers are killing them and uh, the government did not respond to their latest unilateral ceasefire. Um, yeah. Do you believe there is a valid reason for the PKK to still exist as a, an armed group? Yeah, I do, because the problem hasn't been solved. And, um, you know, people ask, especially on this day, like 39 years after the armed struggle started, like, is it, is it still necessary and why doesn't PKK lay down its arms? But it's the state that has to lay down its arms. It's that that is the solution of the Kurdish issue. It needs to be solved at the negotiating table. Um, after thirty nine years, we can you know safely say that that yeah, but, but, the, the, but that to play the devil's advocate. Sorry to interrupt you again. You know if yeah, I agree that they need to talk for sure um, about Kurdish rights. Absolutely, uh, but you know. <laughs> Again, we're caught up with this contradiction of the PKK arguing that it wants this different society, etc. That's not what the Turkish state is going to sit down and talk about with the PKK. So there no, is still a, a, a demands no. being articulated, you know, on behalf of the Kurdish people. And of course, they can throw in, you know, other groups, etc. But at its core, you know, mm -hmm. it's very much about that. And that is absolutely what needs to be fixed in Turkey. Uh, yeah, but, but eventually... They I are think... equal citizens. You yeah. know, uh, there will always be a problem, a question, whatever you want to call it. And there will never be a proper democracy or stability in Turkey. Uh, but again, yeah, but, the question but, is... You know, it's a, it, looks, it looks very irrealistic now and like it's not, never going to happen. But... Um, eventually the problem, that's the frustrating thing about it. I think eventually this will have to be solved sooner or later at the negotiating table. Sooner or later this will happen. So the longer the violence lasts, the more lives are lost. And that's very frustrating, both on the side of the PKK as on the side of the Turkish army. Last week, again, six people were killed. But you cannot, if you say like, what is Turkey going to do if the PKK says now, um, okay, we're going to lay down our arms and the armed struggle is over. No, precisely. It's not that the Turkish army is then going to say, okay, now we have peace. Then, no. then they're, then they're going to take over. There's no resistance anymore. So then what we can agree on then is that there's this other side to this whole movement where, you know, having those arms provides, as they see it, leverage leverage yeah. when you know they sit down yeah, but also table. but also they say the 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 arms are eventually for self-defense that's mm -hmm. what that's what they're really for um and it's more about building an alternative what we talked about in the beginning and the arms are for self-defense but as long as turkey insists on continuing the war they will engage in this war as well and they've said so many times, and they've done this was 
there was a unilateral ceasefire this year. But there have been so many. I lost even lost count. You know, I don't know how many ceasefires there have been. There has been a sort of a peace process between 2013 and 15. Um, it's the state that refuses to to get the negotiating negotiating table out, and you can't say like, okay, the problem has not been solved in any way whatsoever. So you know, uh, I think Duran Kalkan, the the from uh, the, the veteran uh, Kurdish fighter. He said it was a little bit much, but 50,000 fighters have been killed over the last 39 years. Like, okay, never mind. Now we're going to give up our arms, even though the problem hasn't been solved and whatever. You know, that's that, that's also... Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not advocating solved. either way. I'm just saying that yeah. Um, yeah. Th th it's not just as simple as, okay, there's this ideal society that they want to create. Mm -hmm. You know, no, I'm, no, no, of course. It's multifaceted. Yeah. And um, to get back to your time with them, um, you mentioned Duran Kalkan. How old is he now? Is he almost 70? These people yeah, probably, have, I'm not sure, yeah. have not set foot in Turkey for decades. Um, and they haven't seen the Kurdish areas in Turkey for decades. Yeah. And so I think it's a fair question to ask. I mean, how connected are they really to the the shifting realities in Turkey, to the big transformations? I mean, however yeah. much, of course, you know, Kurds continue to be repressed, there's a culture, their political rights. I mean, I don't need to go into detail. I write about this all the time. Yeah. Um, but but do you think they they really, and especially since you were among them, do you think they, they have a real clear understanding of what's happening on the ground? Well, I think that is that is also one of the things I discussed in my book, and that is mainly my I think my my main criticism. Um, of course, in my book, I've written also about the city wars in uh, 2015 and 16 that leveled rural neighborhoods and, and towns to the ground. Um, and PKK expected that people would would join them in in armed resistance in the cities, but the people didn't, and they they left because they didn't want that. Um, and I talked about it with the leadership, but also um, with like you know common fighters. And it's a very hard conversation because they deny that they made a that they made a wrong judgment there. Um, because I, I said, like, um, how how strong is the connection with the people then still? And they say, you cannot ask that because we are the people. <laughs> you know, so if so, that makes the conversation very difficult. But when I spoke to a little bit like common fighters, but a little bit older ones who had been in PKK maybe for 10, 15, 20 years, they said, especially one of them, um, he said, we have to keep this in mind. Like we are um, in Turkish, he used the word unju, like um, how would you translate it to English, like avant-garde or uh, precursors or yeah, like we're ahead of maybe we're part, we are the people, but we are um like walking bearers, the trailblazers, yeah, walking, the trailblazers yeah, walking walking in front of the people. Um and we have to make sure we have to be very careful that this thread is not broken, that we don't 
um, walk ahead too far and that we lose the connection. So that was, I think, the best conversation that I had with fighters about this. But, um, and I think that is that is my main criticism. You can say we are the people, and that sort of stops the whole conversation about this issue. Um, and of course, they say, you know, we have new recruits all the time, and they tell us also what the what what the situation in Turkey is. But you have to also look at it from a more strategic perspective, of course, and not just from young people who just come from Diyarbakir or Yuxagova or wherever, and what they tell you. Well, so they are is, very thin-skinned. Yeah. I mean, they don't. I, as a movement, my experience has been that they don't take um, kindly to to criticism. I try to not really very much discuss it, but ask just ask a whole lot of questions, and I ask these same kind of questions to many, many, many fighters, and many of them say, like you know, you can't say if we lose touch with the people because we are the people, and that then that that teaches me something. Okay, that's how they see themselves, and only some of them have been that's also a little bit surprising maybe they have been long enough in the pkk to also look okay, take a little bit distance and see like okay maybe there is some truth in that you know maybe we should be careful about not breaking that threat or maybe it's it's not it's not broken yet or something you know but that is the that is a risk yeah well yes plus abdullah Öcalan is is has been in jail for so long would you say yeah. that he still remains an influential figure? And that, very much, yeah. Very much. And that if he were to say to the Kurdish people or the PKK, do X, Y, or Z, or, or let's say Kurdish people who who, who support him, that they yeah. would, do you think that, I mean, I remember one Kurdish member of parliament, I'm no longer a member of parliament, said to me, if Öcalan tells a PKK member to stand on his head, he'll stand on his head. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, but yeah, Öcalan has been in isolation now for four years. He hasn't talked to his lawyers and two years to his family, so we don't know. But, you know, I I, I was there in 2013 in Diyarbakir when, uh, when the peace process started and when his letter was read out on the stage. Um, and he like literally declared the the armed the times of armed struggle being over, you know. But the state doesn't, you know, doesn't take any action to really um, because Öcalan it does acknowledge the that's a very important part of the um, of this struggle is the right to self defense. So in that sense, well, I mean, um, Erdogan at one point made a real effort i think however much we can in hindsight see that there was quite a bit of cynicism involved as well Need, i mean he's still the first turkish leader to have sanctioned direct talks with the pkk and abdullah öcalan um and some yeah, would but look argue at where that, we are now you know yeah look at where we are now today and some might argue that well ultimately, and, and if you bear in mind this coup, attempted coup, that perhaps the so-called deep state, the security state somehow prevailed in the end. And for them, mm -hmm. you know, fixing, quote unquote, the Kurdish problem for those, for those people is, you know, basically the other side capitulating. There's no yeah. question of giving. There's only yeah. crushing. 
Right. Obviously, we're we're in the, we're in a stage though where, of course, especially thanks to these Turkish drones, that the new technology, the Kurdish um, fighters of the PKK are very much now on the defensive. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, they have to live underground now. In fact, many of them. Yes. As, yes. you, as you well know, even when you were there, I mean, you could never go back and repeat that experience of living with them, could you? Very and, true, very and true. Like Jamil Bayek no longer give interviews to foreign journalists. No. I mean, they're really under tremendous uh, military pressure for sure. I think they... Definitely, they really yes, don't. yes, true. <laughs> but, they, but on the other hand, that's true. Um, and... You know, the PKK has started to dig tunnels for tunnel warfare uh, years ago, so they can still resist. And they still, you know, like last week, um, several Turkish soldiers being killed. But the, the Turkish army has always had the technological advance. They're the second NATO army, so they've always been ahead of the PKK. The PKK has never had, like, advanced weaponry, you know? And and still they've held out now for thirty nine years, and yeah. and now they've adapted again to the to the drone uh, to the drone war. So I think it's you know even now with the drones, Turkey still didn't take the mountains. You know they're making advances, but they still didn't take it. And now you know Bayraktar drones are have been in the in the sky for a few years now, so resistance is going on, and I I think. That is really what what I think is frustrating. That you know, like um, that, eventually it will have to be solved in a political way. And all the like, people ask when will the PKK lay down its arms, or when will the Kurds maybe get enough, you know, get enough of this and and demand that the people demand the PKK to stop. But what if we turn it around and ask like, when are Turks going to be fed up? that their men are coming back from the mountains. Well, that's the thing, Frederike. As you well know, this uh, war has now shifted beyond Turkey's borders to Syria yep. and to Iraqi Kurdistan. And yep. ordinary Turkish people don't quite feel the heat, the pain in the same way they used to, particularly in the 90s and early, mid-2000s. So in that sense, you know, the need to fix this may not feel... <laughs> that urgent uh, you know and there isn't that kind of pressure on the government to, to no there isn't there isn't but yeah. but it could it would be an interesting question to ask and hardly anybody is asking it like this like when when people say um kurds and if but you can also say what about turks when are they finally going to see there's so much money going it's to so this war i mean frederica it's hard but it but the but it is totally you know captured by the state yes who, who can even go on turkish tv and I say know, i know but i'm not saying about it. what you've said today even you know oh, a single sentence that you've used today without ending up in jail this is not a question that is ever being asked all the responsibility is always put on the pkk when is the pkk going to lay down arms are they uh still connected to the people and there's all these are all relevant important questions but they have to be asked the other way around too and maybe it's now um totally unimaginable that turks at some point say it has to stop but it doesn't mean it will be unimaginable forever. Sometimes we have to um, 
like try to imagine also what could happen. No, I and, totally and agree. Start, and start asking questions and, you know, because eventually, you know, eventually a change will have to come. Oh, I completely agree with you. I, I, I totally agree with you that that is if Turkey wants to join the League of Democratic Societies. Yeah, yeah. It wants to be a stable country. Yes, I completely agree with you. Uh, sadly, I don't see any actors out there who have that kind of vision. They're, no. I mean, look no. at the opposition. They're totally... Totally true. No, I I agree with you when you look at the the current the current state of, you know, exactly as you say, the both government and opposition. Um, and yeah, look but at the, the, but the question, the I mean, they're under yeah. total siege. Yeah. What their best politicians are in jail. So who's yeah. going to advocate for a peaceful Kurdish, um, you know, solution? Yeah. Everyone. Well, the, well, the PKK is. They've been. They keep saying like we have to go to the negotiating table. And and you talked about Öcalan. I think his his situation is also very exemplary for how the Kurdish situation in Turkey is. Because he was not in isolation in, in 2013, 2015, there was a peace process going on, and then you could actually say his name, and you know. And now it is everything is so locked, there is no, there is, you know, very hard to see a, a, a way out into better times. And that is reflected by his isolation. So that is why I think also the PKK and the whole Kurdish movement is always um, focusing on the freedom of Erdogan. Because it seems absurd now to think of his freedom, but it's equally absurd to think of his, that the Kurdish issue is going to be solved now. It's just as absurd. But if he is free, they know that the Kurdish issue will be solved. It's not the same with Demirtas, for example. If he's going to be free, then finally Turkey is, you know, doing what also the European Court of Human Rights says, and it, he he will be free before the Kurdish issue is solved. But Öcalan's freedom is equal to the, the 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 final, you know, the 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 solution of the Kurdish issue. So that's why they keep pressuring on his freedom. It means like, you know, solve it, go to the negotiating table, solve the problem. But you know, the PKK isn't just, as you said at the beginning of our conversation, just an armed movement. It's much bigger than that. It's evolved into a global organization that has influence across Europe, places like Australia, even Latin America and the United States these days. Um, yeah. It's ideas, especially, of course, uh, when you saw those women fighters um, you know, fighting so bravely against the Islamic State that sort of really inspired a lot mm -hmm. of people, especially young people across the globe. So, you know, however much, let's say, you put them on the defensive um, militarily, it, it does seem like it's growing as a movement politically, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, and they're very, like, very well organized. That always amazes me now that I'm in Europe um, and I've been to several meetings and people really show up and um you know they educate people in 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 Europe and elsewhere too about about the ideology and you know it's a very well organized movement definitely 
And and Ojalan, yeah. of course, is kind of the glue, right? The sort of symbol around which it all comes together, coalesces. Yeah. So my final yeah. question to you, Frederike, is what happens when Ojalan passes away, as we all will one day? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a question I really had to phrase very carefully when I was in, in, in the PKK. Like, how am I going to say this, you know? I sometimes said, like, you know, the leader doesn't have, like, eternal life, you know? So, you know, what's going to happen? Um, and I think it... Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine because I think, you know, always when when political leaders, even you know, if it's Ojalan or somebody else, there's always some conspiracy starting. Um, like he's he could die of natural causes, but people would definitely think like he's been poisoned, he's been killed, he's been. We're gonna get that, I'm sure. Um, but. Yeah, it's very hard to say how, how people will react in Turkey. When he was captured in 99, um, people were very shocked. Oh, but how people, people kill themselves to kill themselves self-immolation. Yes. And yes. I don't know if that how how that will, you know, what, what will happen now, because it's now 25 years later. It's very hard to predict. But I think that um you know, you have this slogan, um, like no life without the leader. And that that is sort of the leader means him, but it also means the ideology that he developed. So if he passes away, then still um, they will struggle in, you know, in, in name of what he has developed and given them. So in that sense, um, he will he would still be there but what what does what the situation in turkey would be when he dies i i can't even i can't imagine it's very hard to say i, I wonder what you think about it actually well we're, today we're here to hear what you have to think about things <laughs> <laughs> and i was very rude interrupting you constantly so i apologize dearest frederike and thank you for your time um, thank you too for having me thanks a lot Galex <laughs> Bas frederike Thank you. And this brings us to the end of On the Middle East. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Federike and I encourage you to buy her book. It really takes you there. Thank you very much and goodbye.